Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a brand new edition of the Book It Podcast. My name is Rob Howden, and, and again, welcome to the ECAN Radio Network and the ECAN Podcast Network. Uh, we're getting back at the, the, the Book It Podcast. It's been a while since we've done one of these, and it's something that we really want to bring into the forefront once again here in, uh, in 2021 and 2022. It's December the 21st. We're capping off the 2021 calendar year. And joining me today, a, a guy that really kind of embodies my entire career as a carding journalist, uh, because I launched my magazine Shifter Card Illustrated back in 1999, and right about that point, this guy was a, was a young guy, an ADCC junior, kind of got rolling, and I've been able to kind of sit back here and watch his career go through ADCC junior into the 125 Shifter ranks, becoming uh, you know a, a champion there, and then eventually winning the Super Nats, becoming you know one of the top drivers in North America, and then from there, really the only North American factory driver in the 20 years that I've been doing this, 20 plus years being a factory driver over in Europe for a number of years, comes back and starts his own company. It's been an amazing run so far, and there's obviously a lot more chapters still to be written. Joining me today, the edition of Book It is Gary Carlton. Gary, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, there's going to be a lot to talk about here. This is uh, there's a lot to unpack because uh, we're talking about 30 years of your career and, and all these all the different chapters. I think which is which is awesome. Right now, of course, those of you may be new to the EKN Radio Network and what we do here with the Book It Podcasts. Uh, Gary Carlton, of course, now uh, a key member of the North American karting industry with his uh, GFC karting, his own program where he has his own chassis, uh, runs a racing team, a young driver development program, really a full service program with dealers for the GFC brands. It's not just a team. He has his own brand as well, which is getting getting more and more dealers around the U.S. So a lot of, a lot of happening, a, lot, a really bright future for Gary moving forward with the GFC brand. But dude, let's jump in. This is a Book It podcast. This is when you and I kind of do a deep dive into, into your career, let people know who, you know... <sighs> People in the sport turn over, we know, every three or four years, right? Some people, you know, people that have been around a couple of years, they know who Gary Carlton is. They know the GFC brand, but they don't know this huge story behind it. And that's kind of what we're here to do here today, which I think is super exciting. Great way to cap off the 2021 season and move to 2022. Uh, Gary, let's get started. What, you know, when did you get into the sport? How did you get into the sport? Let's start from the genesis. You know, I was thinking about it before we did this podcast. And I honestly, I mean, it was obviously such a long time ago. I honestly don't remember exactly how it, how it I worked. I love that. <laughs> um, and, you know, obviously my, my, my father has passed away. So, I mean, he would have been the one that asked. My mom, I asked my mom a, a while back and she said, uh, my dad was always a gearhead and we, we started in quarter midgets. And I think it was a thing where my dad had built a street rod and my parents were, oh, I grew up in the Sacramento area. So in the Sacramento area, they had this big like street rod show called the Autorama. I think they still have it. And it's one of the b- bigger auto shows in, in um, Northern California. But I think my dad saw quarter midgets, like they had a little vendor thing there. And he saw these quarter midgets and he, he thought it was pretty cool. So we went out to a truck and checked it out and then I started with quarter midgets I mean to be brutally honest I don't remember much of it at all how, how <laughs> old were you at that point how old were you uh, I think I was six okay so you're six. young yeah, yeah so I was young and then at in Prairie City out in Folsom California they have a quarter midget track and a go-kart track that's right next to it and yeah. naturally you know you see the go-karts on the other side of the street and we kind of 
that kind of caught our interest and we thought we we would like to go or i guess i thought i'd like to go do that and like i said i don't remember exactly i just remember we we got a cart from emic because you know that was the local that's it yeah lo- local manufacturer there in sacramento so we got a cart from emic and then and i started go-karting and and I, I guess the one thing I do remember from go-karting is when I first started, I was really bad. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> you know what? Listen, you're not the only person that said that, too. Like, these guys that are superstars, multiple real race winners. Yeah, when I first started, I sucked. And it's, listen, we know how hard. It's not the easiest thing to jump into, right? It, it, it is a skill that you have to learn. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess the one, the first memory I do have of karting was we, I did my first race out at Dixon. and my dad, I mean, I got lapped and everything probably a couple of times. Right. And my dad came in, you know, and normally you know, everyone's either positive or, you know, what the heck are you doing? I mean, there's a lot of different styles of parenting. And he just looked at me. He's like, well, he did a really good job getting out of the leader's way. <laughs> so so po- at, least he, at least he was on the positive side. That's good. Yeah, on the positive side. You know, yeah, you didn't ruin the race for the leaders. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, no, that's that. That was my introduction into karting. Isn't it crazy that you, you talk about racing at Dixon and then that you know you, you do a lot of testing there and a lot of guys still do it. It's just that's it's that it has been for thirty years, right? Really has been this this base of karting in Northern California. You know, it was crazy. I mean, we were just out there yeah. a couple of days ago, and I was driving out there. And granted, there was a you know 15, 15 year span where I didn't go out there, but. I thought to myself, man, one, one, it felt like, man, I'm kind of getting old, but I've been coming out here for 26 <laughs> odd years or whatnot. Yeah. Like, this is kind of cool. So let's talk about the, like the initial successes you had. You obviously started club racing. Uh, did, did you get to the point where you kind of, you, you and your dad got a feel for it and you got to the point where you, you know, where you started winning some races and winning some championships when you were younger? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my dad, he was a gearhead, but I mean, he had no racing experience before you know he he was just one guy who did built choppers and you know uh, um souped up cars and, and stuff like that but racing he had zero zero experience so we were kind of out there learning in it on our own and i mean obviously dating back when i first started there wasn't telemetry or gopros or no, right? anything no. like that and and trust me i'm not the i am not the guy back in the old days this is it's way better i think you know i i love evolution and i love that we have all all the tools that we do now but back then it was just different right i mean we you learned at a much slower rate in, in the end right i mean yeah. kid, you see kids now at the level that they're they're at now at a cadet level is probably at the same level as maybe some seniors back when I first started. So um, it was just at a much slower rate. So naturally I think the level of competition and level of driving when I was younger was, was much lower than it is now, but the level that I first started at was extremely low and it took me a while. I mean, I can't remember when I started, honestly, it's starting to click or starting to win races. I guess the one memory I do have, I remember I won my first, club race it was at altamont speedway i remember that and i just thinking that how cool that was and i think that's kind of when i you know when you got that taste of winning then you want i, I just wanted to con- that to continue and it yeah. was more you know like well i don't want to lose that feeling so it was more of 
more of a, a fear of losing now than, than, than winning driving me forward. So, um, yeah, I started winning club races and then, I mean, that evolution, I don't remember exactly how it went, but I mean, it started clicking and I started doing well at the regional levels and then, um, moved up to the junior categories, you know, and back then there was more of the Yamaha classes that, yeah. that we were doing. And, and then I was, you know, lucky enough to, to live through the, the birth of Supercarts USA and Scusa and having the 80 shifter junior category. So we get started doing that. And naturally, um, I wasn't the best at it at first, but I, I showed signs of speed, but I mean, you guys probably remember more than I do. I mean, I was fast when I was young, but I guess I really didn't have that much guidance or, you know, I didn't really know how to retain my speed or harness my speed and use it to my benefit at that time. Well, it's, it, you know, Gary, it's, it's interesting you bring that up because you're right. At you becoming that guy in the, in the junior categories, you were right there on the leading edge of what was at that point, something really new to the sport. And that was the, the Supercarts USA promoto tour and the regional programs, like you said. And indeed it was, it was, it was something a little new, right? It was that national kind of program that was going on and you came rolled in. And it's funny you say that because literally before the, sh- the show yesterday and today, I did a deep dive into all the magazines, right? I went back looking through all the old shift of card illustrated and super card illustrated magazines, looking for, you know, where you finished and, and just to kind of get another feel for where you were at that point. And you're right. You know, you kind of got the feel in the junior categories, but man, I just feel I have to feel like your development was really quick and that maybe the maybe the competition level on that series is what did it because you quickly, you know, when you rolled into the senior categories and and started running S1, which is was, you know, the one step below was essentially the the, the pro two, the, the second level shifter program. I think you really pick things up. You obviously work with Scott Jeffries at KLS Racing. You're on the NBA at that point. And, uh, man, dude, I think in 2002, you ended up winning the Western championship in that, in that S one class. And that was a pretty good season for you, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't really remember exactly much of how I progressed or why I progressed other than it started clicking, I guess. And it was one of those things that I think I just, I think I always took it really serious. I mean, I even remember, stripping you know coming home from school and stripping down my even my cadet carts because i would see my dad like wax his motorcycles or his car so i'm yeah. like well i'm gonna i want to wax my go-kart so i'd strip it down in the frame and wax it or something and then probably piss my dad off because then i'd probably put it either together wrong or you know when i took it apart not yeah, put yeah. the pieces back to where it should be and probably get lost and i remember Many nights him getting pissed, but because he'd be off at work and I'd come home and start stripping my go kart myself. Hard to get apart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, thought, I mean, as much as I loved driving, actually, I loved working on them just as much. And I, um, I, I mean, all out through my career, even when I was going to school, I'd always spend my summers at a go kart shop. I remember going to Emic and just doing oddball jobs, you know, and my dad would drop me off at the beginning of the day and pick me up after work. And that's what I did every summer. And I, then I started working at sweet tech and I mean, that's every summer I was depending on what team I was with or uh, the relationship I had. I mean, had a huge relationship or became a huge and very close relationship with uh, rainy person and his family. I mean, they're like second family now yeah. and been through 
my career, but I mean, he really taught me a lot on how to, how to work on things and work on engines and work ethic and work protocols and things like that. Like I said, I, I, as much as I loved the driving, I loved, you know, the mechanicism and learning how things worked and how to work on them and how to fix them and, and things like that. And I think that's actually kind of, when I started learning a lot more things about my go-kart and how they worked, I think that helped me also kind of learn how to get everything out of the go-kart or, you know, if I had a problems to diagnosis, to diagnose it. So I, I wonder now thinking back at it, I wonder if that's why I started succeeding or, was it just started to click? I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Well, I mean, it, no, I, I, I like that idea and that concept because I, I think a lot of the times, <clears throat> maybe nowadays it's that way as well. A lot of the kids aren't hands-on with their cart anymore. So they really don't understand how it works. You know, and it's the same thing in car racing. When you're driving a car, a lot of the, you know, some drivers don't know, some drivers know the mechanics of it. And I think that's something, <clears throat> when you look at the way your career has developed and your, you know, your ability, not just because, you know, like I said, you ran for KLS racing. Um, you had a good season there and then you end up getting picked up by Jim Phillips. He signed you to run for cosmic North America. I think this is the, this is when you were working with sweet tech. You brought a lot to the table, right? And I think you obviously can talk, you talked a little bit about it there, how it changed your approach to your own racing. You knew, you knew how your engine was running. It's not like you were just getting in there. You, you got out of the cart and said, Oh, the engine sucks or it's not, you knew about jetting. You knew how that engine got went together. And I think the mechanical side of it, you, and you know, you, well, when we eventually fast forward and talk about Track Magic becoming a, their development driver, I don't know that that Gary that would have been something that that maybe would have been an opportunity for you had you not developed the skill set working with Rainy. Yeah, and you know, I was just thinking about when when you were talking. I think a lot of that why probably I started to succeed at a quicker rate is back then we didn't maybe necessarily have the data acquisition like we do now. So if someone back then knew a lot more about the product or the cart or the engine that they were, they were using to diagnose a problem. Maybe it was a lot quicker then where now we can just look in the data and like, okay, it's doing this RPM or that. I mean, you can kind of decipher of what's going on back then. I mean, you didn't, we didn't, have that so yeah for, yeah, for those you, for, the, for those of you who are racing now and listening there we didn't have the gopros we didn't have full data acquisition it was you know there was a we had a gauge you got some rpm and it was seat of your pants right gary and it was it was literally reading reading the spark plug like <laughs> it just was there yeah, was so I, much there was you had to know more as a driver than just come in and look at a video yeah, and, and like I say, I'm, I am not one of those guys. Like back in the day, it was so much. We were so much better drivers in it. No, I'm not. I am not that guy. Like I know all the kids. You know, the ten year old kids right now would have whipped my butt at ten years old. I mean, would have cleaned me up. I mean, <laughs> the level of driving now as a whole is way higher. Way way higher. Being it the coaches and all the tools that we have. Um, you know, it just, it's evolution, right? The drivers are, are better, period. But I think now it's just the driving, now it's just different in the sense of they know way more and have way more information at their disposal than we did, where we were just kind of fly by wire figuring it out. And I think you just had to have a little bit more knowledge of your cart because there wasn't, I mean, I think even the mechanics and the tuners and everything else back in the day, I mean, there was a lot of, it was the sport was still. I mean, we're dating ourselves so far back that the sport was still 
new. I mean, it was new. shifter yep. carts and things like this. I mean, we got to think when I first started and when even, even you got in the sport, I mean, European carts were like a new thing. <laughs> like yeah. people, people didn't know really about new European carts. They're kind of like, you know, CRG. Well, what that must be a new flavor of the week. What's that? I mean, you know, Tony Cart. Okay, that kind of sounds. You know, it almost sounded like a joke to us back then. Like Tony Cart. What, what, what the heck's a Tony Cart? You know, yeah. like yeah, it was new. You know, it was it was it was all new. I mean, carting wasn't this big thing now that it is now. I mean, I. I kind of laugh when people say like carding was so much bigger back in the day. And I look at this field counts. I'm like, I never once remember 500. I mean, coming back to the supernaturals this year. No, carding is way bigger. Than oh, Gary, it was. I, like I said, I just went back and looked at the magazines and I'm going through and people are talking about the promoto tour days. Like you said, Oh, it was so great back then. We literally had, you know, 15 drivers in one class or 25 in the other class. You know, there might've been 28 or something like that in the, in the, in the super pro category. It was, it Again, we always look back at memories that we loved and it was good times, and we and it, we, we kind of get rid of some of the stuff that wasn't good, and we amplify some of the stuff that was. And you're right, no karting right now is the numbers we're getting is unbelievable, and like you said, the sport has grown and evolved so much that uh, it's it's a we're in a really great place right now. I, I I agree. I mean, I love the evolution of the sport. I love seeing it. I mean, the last two Vegas races that we've been with both of the bigger national programs that we have in the States. I mean, it's awesome. I, I, I think it's great. I mean, super nationals, there's, you know, 80, 90 drivers in one category. I mean, yeah. that's, it's amazing. That, I mean, that that's getting to like, you know, I, I've been really lucky to, to go over to Europe and see, you know, at the highest of highs of carting, you know, worldwide. And, you know, when you see those amount of numbers here in the States, it's like, it's, it's badass. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. We pause this show for a quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. A major milestone for the Challenge of the Americas is coming in 2022. It's the program's 15th season. The Challenge is now one of the longest running programs in North America and will open the new season in January with a three event championship series at a trio of the top karting facilities on the West Coast. The 2022 Challenge of the Americas begins on January 28th to 30th at the Muscleman Honda Circuit in Tucson, Arizona. A month later, on February 25th, 26th, and 27th, the Challenge is back in Arizona for the Midway event at the historic Phoenix Kart Racing Association facility in Glendale. The champions of the 2022 program will be decided in wine country, at the finale at Sonoma Raceway in Northern California on March 25th to 27th. Champions will be awarded a trip to the Rock Cup Super Final in Italy, while other categories will earn entry to the popular Rock Vegas event at the end of the season. Head over to challengecarding.com for more information on the 2022 Challenge of the Americas. Let's rock! The Briggs & Stratton 206 engine is where out-of-the-box ease and outstanding consistency meet to create legendary races. Briggs & Stratton's history of motorsports dates back to when the first engines came off the assembly line in the early 1900s. Their focus on the grassroots level continues to help build 
generations of racers. Since 2008, the Briggs & Stratton 206 has gained a following that has the engine powering the largest fields in North American karting today. From the club level of track programs to traveling regional series and national events, Briggs & Stratton competition provides the most exciting racing in the sport. Engineered and hand-built exclusively for racing, every Briggs & Stratton 206 engine is power-tested and serialized before it goes in the box. Carters can take that engine straight from the box to their cart and be on the podium at the end of race day. Be sure to follow Briggs & Stratton Racing on Facebook and through at Race Briggs on Instagram. To learn more about the 206 engine or to find the North American dealer near you, head to BriggsRacing.com. Briggs & Stratton Racing, what powers you? Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. Folks, a new edition of the Book It Podcast. My name is Rob Howden, joined by Gary Carlton from GFC Carding. Uh, Gary, let's 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 get back into it a bit as we kind of roll through your career. 2003, we talked about having the the, the run with with Jim Phillips. Uh, you did that kind of uh, into into 2004 as well. Uh, you were developing, growing. You're on a Rosa Corsa chassis for a while. Big, speaking of different number. It was also a transition period. It was kind of weird, and, and and you can just maybe touch on it briefly. It was kind of the transition from that mo modified Honda Moto engine to the ICC. It was a split. You were you were on the one side with with Jim and the Rosa Corsa running in the in the Honda side. That was getting smaller and smaller. Eventually, uh, Scusa canceled that class. You eventually moved into the ICC category, and and uh, in two thousand four, you started off the season pretty strongly. Do, do you remember back to the starts of karting? Uh, days uh, when you're with Co uh, Cosmic North America, you're able to get a win at Moran. And I know that was, to me, that was another one of the big moments for you to kind of come out of your, to come out into the spotlight of, of top level shifter kart racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely at, at that point in time, I think, you know, people were starting to figure out carts and engines and get more factory support and people were getting a better handle on, on, on what was going on, I would think. And I think, Myself and my, my dad and Jim Phillips, I mean, we were, we weren't those, you know, cutting edge tuner. We didn't have the cutting edge tuners or, you know, availability of a factory support that the other guys did. So we were a little bit behind. I mean, just straight up. I mean, you're going against guys like legends, you know, Mike Speed and all these other big yeah. teams that, that, I mean, in reality, I mean, my dad and I were kind of just doing it on our own and, you know, it's tri trial by air. You know, you just go to the track and not really know what Ackerman, Castor, Camber, and all these things really do. I mean, we're, it was more just going out and figuring it out by ourselves and and with no really scientific <laughs> way of going about it other than just, well, let's put the wheels that way and tell us tell us what it does. And then, yeah. you know, and, and let's be honest, you know, I was probably what? When my still teenager back then, I mean, as much as I thought I knew everything, I didn't know shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's just be real. Dude, I know. Right. Yeah. So, um, um, so no, I mean, naturally we were, we were behind, we were behind and definitely, you know, we, yeah, I got a few wins here and there. I mean, I think even that, I mean, if we're being honest, I think that Moran win was just a qualifying, it was downpouring. I was able to get, you know, qualify pole and it down poured so much I that they had to that. cancel the rate cancel the race and you know i didn't really win i yes i got points and i 
I w technically won the event, but let's get real. I mean, I qualified first, and it rained so hard that they canceled the event the next for that day. So, so let's so let's let's jump let's jump into the next chapter because you know obviously you're talking about being young and developing, and, and you know you weren't part of a big team. You guys, it was you and your dad, you know Jim Phillips, obviously that that kind of program. Um, end of 2004, and this is obviously obviously a key chapter in in your career. Uh, and that's that's the track magic years. What? How did it, how did it come about with Fausto Vitello? I know that he was a huge influence on you and everything you did. And just that entire, it, there's just so many positives and, and obviously the negative of, of Fausto passing away in in the early 2006. How did how did that come to be? How how did you end up connecting with Track Magic and talk a little bit about the role you picked up immediately when you started with them? So I mean, yeah. I, when I was doing the cosmic thing, I was, you know, I was one of those drivers, I guess you could say like, you know, it was fast, but it wasn't like everyone had the stopwatch, you know, you weren't with that, I guess what you would say, like a, a Ryan Norberg today, you know, you're not, they, <laughs> I'm not the guy people had the stopwatch on every time, you know, I could maybe pop off a good race every hit once in a while, but, and then at that time, Jim Phillips, um, I think he was, you know, closing down his company. Obviously I still had support from my, from my parents but my at that point my dad had enough of my negative attitude at the, at, at the time that and crashing into people and just not I think he had enough he he wanted to get out of the sport and he didn't want to help me anymore and support me anymore and so I was left with basically without a ride and and to be honest um I didn't know if I was going to go kart anymore I mean no, it wasn't like anyone. I, I I didn't feel like anyone was gonna give me a shot or give me the opportunity to, to you know work or full time. And I was kind of in limbo. Like, okay, I just finished high school. Um, what am I gonna What am I gonna do? And I lived next to a highway at the time, and <laughs> it was like around a corner, and everyone would. You know, I don't know if they were drunk or whatever, but they would every month like someone would hit this power pole right in front of our house. You know, big accidents all the time, and the guys from PG and E would come out and fix the the power lines every time. And you know, it was kind of an ongoing joke when you go talk to the guys. And I don't know, it always kind of fascinated me. I'm like, hey, you know, these guys are always working these power lines. It doesn't look like a a bad job. And I actually went and talked to the guys a few times, and you know that. They kind of, they told me about the job and how good it was and, you know, you benefits and you get paid well and you get to work outside. And I was like literally sitting there going, thinking, you know, this might be something I, I want to do. And I literally after I talked to them, I mean, it was kind of weird. Talk to these guys in the middle day because someone else hit the power pole, you know. And I was walking back, and I get a call from Ryan Fowl. Yeah. yeah, my name's Ryan Fowl. I work for Trek Magic, da 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 And we would like to, you know, you to come test for us and see, you know, if you like the car and, and whatnot. And at the time, I mean, Trek Magic, I mean, there was a point in Trek Magic where you know, it was a huge powerhouse. But at that time, I think, you know, all the European influence and – Everyone had just raised their game with the European influence and the European cards coming out, and Track Magic had kind of fallen, fallen away from their dominance, and kind of became one of those you know lower level teams, or, or they were struggling a bit. 
and they had called me and I was kind of on the fence and like, yeah, well, you know, my, my mindset going in was, well, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen to go drive a go-kart, you know, for free again and, and see what, what happens. Yeah. So I agreed to go out there and uh, we went out to Dixon one day and Foster was out there with Ryan and uh, Kyle Martin. Kyle Martin was out there, I believe. Kyle's dad was maybe out there. But I, I think George Barrows had left at the, at the time. I mean, it, everyone kind of had left the program, really. Uh, Mamo was out. I mean, it was. I think it was literally just Ryan Fowle and maybe Kyle at the time. Yeah, I think so. And then, um, so I went and did the test. And, I mean, to be brutally honest, I drove the car and I came out and, you know, my punk punk self at the time, you know, the fossil came out, what do you think? And I looked at him, I'm like, dude, this thing's, this thing's no good. This thing doesn't drive well at all. And he, he immediately, I mean, like, it was so quick. He just looked me in the eye, he goes, you know, it's easy to call something a piece of shit. Yeah, well, I guess we can edit it, or man, that's, no, that's exactly no, words. Dude, I want his words. That's perfect. <laughs> yeah, he goes. It's easy to call it a piece of shit. The hard part is to, is to do, or the hard part is, is can you fix it? If you can fix it, then you have a job. And, and you know, I'm sitting there. Well, okay, yeah, I guess that is the hard part. If you can, easy to call it, easy to call it a piece of shit, but hard to fix it. So yeah. I sat there. I'm like, yeah, all right. And he's like, let's. Let's talk. And we talked a little bit. And then he, he's like, if you can fix it, you know, I'll give you a job. I'll pay you, pay you X amount a week and we'll race. And you develop this thing. You, 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 you spearhead it with Ryan and, and we'll try to develop it and we'll try to get this thing back to where, where we think we want to be. So I decided, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And we started testing at the end of 2000. Yeah. 2004. Four, and yeah. Yeah, Ryan and I started doing. You know, I, I I went to the factory in San Francisco, and I saw there that there was an office, there was space that I could blow up an air mattress. So I said, "The hell with it! I'm not going to drive back and forth." There was a shower there. I'm like, "I'm just going to start living living at the factory." And I love just that. do that. Yeah, you and, literally live there on an air on an air mattress. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a it was a bad area. I remember my dad came by just to check it out. And, um, he told, he told me, he's like, don't tell mom, don't ever <laughs> ask mom to come here because she won't let, this is not okay. Like, no. this is a bad area. Like, and if people don't know Hunter's point, I mean, it's, it's a dangerous, very, very dangerous area. Let's I've just say, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, you don't, I remember we had, uh, a police officer that was one of our customers there at Trek Magic. He he owned a cart and we became friends because he would patrol that area and he just stop stop in you know every other day just probably to burn time and to BS with everybody. And um, he found out I was living in the shop and he he looked at me. He's like he's like dude, you got to be you got to be careful. And I just jokingly said like you know if I ever have a problem, I'll just call you right. And he's like no. He goes. I might come out as a civilian, but we, we don't come out here at night. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, if we get calls out here at night, it's gotta be a massive problem, but we won't come out here alone at night because they'll just wow. start shooting at the cars. And I mean, the area now is, is much cleaner. And, but back then it was, it was a rough neighborhood. Let's just wow. say. 
I've I've heard stories, but uh, so so okay, let's and let's talk about this. So obviously, Fausto gives you a job, and you go to work. Uh, like, did you literally develop your own chassis? And we, you know, the FTR obviously came out <clears throat> for two thousand five. What did you, did you start from scratch? Or what what? How did it all work? Yeah. Well, I mean, we didn't necessarily start from scratch. I mean, Ryan Ryan and I basically took what Track Magic and you know all the years of development had before with the Diablo chassis, and then we just took our take on it when we started going to Dixon and Sonoma and just pounding laps. And I mean, Ryan definitely had a, a, a lot more knowledge than I did at the time of how, you know, what did what. So we kind of did the, the first couple months, just kind of me learning what the basics were because I still didn't know exactly what did what, you know, in front end geometry and, wheelbases and things like that so it was more more of that just go out to Dixon and change something just to change it and kind of feel what that change did yeah. and then just put it in my memory bank and then then we started doing I mean it was like I said it was not so much like scientific way of going trial about it. Like, it, was trial it was more yeah it was just more trial and error in, yeah. in those days and and in theory I mean yeah it was not the most efficient way of doing things, but I want to say it really helped me know, just understand it more than someone just telling you, okay, Steven Ackerman does this, this, and this, and you know, you'll have this, this, and effects. It was like, no, it was more me going out, feeling it, and knowing the feeling more than just someone telling me exactly what it does. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it was not efficient. It was, a lot, many people would say maybe a, a big waste of time. We could have done it in, in a lot less time, but I think when you have to put that much work and effort into it, you almost appreciate it, not appreciate it more, but you, you understand it more in, in, in my eyes. Like so you, you, you internalize it, right? It becomes, you, yeah, it, it becomes exactly. part of your understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, okay. so it's. So you build this chassis. You guys put this new chassis together. You worked into the into the 2005 season. Um, how did how did the, are you by yourself in 2005? Was was Kyle, did Cal Martin had he hung it up at that point? Were you by yourself? I think in 2005. Yeah. So Kyle did 2004. He did the Super Nats. Um, he actually got second, yep. and it, it was kind of it was kind of a thing. Like all right, like obviously, I didn't have the best races, best of race is that year but it was kind of those that solidification of you know he went out there got a great result it was second good challenge for the win with the cart that i developed so i mean the, the chassis has to be good you know it has to you know it's better than what they had before because he was nowhere in the years before with the cart that they had before yeah. um before our, we came out with the ftr so it was it was a good give us give me confidence going into the next year that we we had something that we could fight with and yeah we started 2005 and it started off well i mean we were doing our own engine program then and i i could tell you know we were fighting for seconds thirds you know i think i believe we won we won one race in chilliwack canada that okay. year yep if i'm if i'm not mistaken um so we were we were always there, but we didn't. We were missing that. We we could, I could tell we were missing horsepower, um, and that was just the last 
last piece of the puzzle. I believe that, you know, the chassis, we worked a lot on the braking system. I learned a lot, a ton about braking systems that year and what the importance of braking system and pads and just, I mean, just brake pad size, uh, rotor size, piston size of the, of the master cylinders and everything. I really, really do dove into that in the 2005 year because we had sorted out the frame pretty pretty early on in, in the season and we didn't really change much on the frame side of more we just got the brakes fixed at that time and we were just kind of missing that last piece and it was the engine and i believe for the supernats 2005 we used an sra engine okay. instead of our own engine a tm sra tm and that's where we got second right behind Lorenzo, Lorenzo, Lorenzo. Beat us. Lorenzo yeah, Lorenzo, beat, but but we were right there. Like I mean, it was it was a really good showing. I mean, we were strong all year. Do you feel that was a breakout race for you, Gary? I, obviously, I'm, I'm listening to you talking about just the, the 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 level of constant education of the sport and the, and the mechanics and just everything you've talked about is how you're learning more with the feel and of course all the braking, the work you did with the brakes. You said in 2005. Uh, me watching it, it seemed like that was a breakout race for you. Uh, obviously, a lot coming after that, but to 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 run like you did all that year, that Supernats in two thousand five, and then finish second. Do you look back at that at that time? Did you feel like it was a breakout? No, no. I think that was just a solidification. Or that was like a confirmation of okay. Yes, that the the engine was the last missing piece. But I I think I think the breakout race that really showed. I think my mental strength or like that, I was not, or just my, my strength that like I was never going to give up or just not my resilience, I guess, or just the, the relenting, being relentless and not letting anything tear me down was, was, uh, in Tucson when we had yeah. pretty much, you know, the, the day before we were terrible. I mean, we just burned the front tires right off. I mean, we were, we were just not good i mean we didn't have the setup in the car and then ha having fosto you know having the news of fosto passing away that night and you know a lot of people were like oh what are we gonna do and you know i had my moment of of emotions and you know crying and i mean even right now it's it's emotional to think about it but yeah. i remember I remember going to the track that that morning, and we had Diego Valverde with us, Andrew Alfonso, Andrew Alfonso's girlfriend at the time, and I was like, it was it was strange. Like I wanted to drive to the track. I was waking. I woke up early and like getting over the. We got to go. We have to. We have to be perfect today. We have to. We have to win. We have yeah. to win today, and. It's 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 emotional thinking about it yeah. right now. Yeah, for folks, if you don't know, obviously uh, Fausto passed away on April twenty second in two thousand six, and as Gary said, it was during the race weekend. He they, the team had found out, and then and Gary, it just again that's again that's such a turning point in your career, and I know it's hard to talk about, but that's that's what's so that's what's so poignant about it is it man you, as a young age where you were at and the position you were at, you had to really dig in, and, and the fact that you came back and like you said, you had to win. And then you went out and delivered and were able to win on Sunday. I mean, I, I know that 
I know that I was choking up trying to, you know, call in the last laps and, and I'm sure it's, the, the emotion is there. It just, it was just something that I think was so amazing that, that you were able to accomplish that day. Yeah, it was, it was, like I said, at the beginning of that year, we, I think a, a huge difference too that year and what got us to that point and gave us the tools to be able to, to win that day was we got set up back with, I got back with Rainey and how, how I, we did that is Maxter, who was a company of CRG mm-hmm. was looking to, to get their engine out there, but on a different chassis other than, than CRG, you know, they were promoting the Maxter brand at that time in, in the States. And, um, that was the only way because Foster was so against was sweet, you know, going with sweet tech because they were like the arch enemies at the, you know, <laughs> back in their day. And yeah. then, you know, there was only, I, I was the only driver at the time. And I, I convinced them to, to go with sweet tech because we got free engines and re- engine, engine tuning was going to be done by raining. It was free. And I remember the first test we did at, at Sonoma, we had our engine and we bolted that maxer on from rainy and Foster was there, and he rarely came to the track at the time. And this is all before, obviously, before what happened in, in Tucson. But yep. um, he came out, and we put that engine on, and you know the lap times, the lap times don't lie. And he, I remember, it was probably hard for him to say it, but he, <laughs> I mean, he saw the engine on one time, and we didn't even have the date. I mean, we were just doing everything stopwatch at the time. And uh, he looked at me, and I remember. I think he looked at Rainey. He goes, "Good job." And then he, and then he looked at me. He goes, "No excuses this year." And just, and just <laughs> went back. Just left. Just left and went back to his office. Like, no That's excuses it. this year. And I'm, I remember even looking at Rainey because I mean, obviously, Rainey and I already had a, a, a strong relationship. I mean, I was living at his house at one point, and. Um, you know, I'm like excited. You know, I'm like a kid in a candy store, and and you know, Rainy's always Rainy, just very yeah, <laughs> Northern so European style. Exactly right. So yeah. I'm much yeah. like, okay, like I guess the engine's good. You know, like, and I'm sitting there excited, and and uh, yeah, I mean, during that race in Tucson, it's it's funny how how life like it all connects together in, in that sense. Like Rainy knew my knew my situation was helping me and i i have photos somewhere you know us in the tent i mean we we're just a little easy up because i was the only guy there at track magic and rainy and i yeah. looking at the engines and you know the cart and everything with diego and what's funny is so the all the link of all this obviously track magic we didn't know the you know the situation after Fausto died but during that race in Tucson there was Mattia Madami who was a CRG representative slash Maxer representative who was there with PCH Motorsports and we were we were having trouble with our front ends like basically wandering around and like the there was a lot of play in the caster pills and this wasn't a very good system and so we were finding out that you know the toe was going askew every time we'd run and with the, the plates that we had, and we were just, we didn't have a handle on it. And Mattia was over there helping us with the engine or helping, you know, talking to Randy with the engine and kind of saw us struggling with um, everything on the, on the front end. And he's like, Hey, like, 
can you guys need a hand or, or whatnot? I was like, yeah, I, I do actually. And he came over with these sniper lasers, which to us was like crazy, crazy to us. Like, wow, look at the, look at these, look at this tooling these guys have. This is, this is amazing. And, and it was funny. He's like, you know, just don't tell, tell anyone that I'm letting you use this. Cause if Randy, you know, Randy Neal, and I didn't know Randy Neal at the time. Um, yeah if he lets, you know, knows that I'm letting you use this, like he'll kill me and, and everything. So, I mean, now it's funny, <laughs> like Randy and, you know, obviously when we get back probably to that story, Randy is now like a father figure to me, but you know, <laughs> we're literally like stealing, you know, backdooring stuff through Randy to try to win this race through Mattia and, and everything, because, you know, we don't have the, we didn't have the tools necessary to, to set up the front end properly. And, and that literally hel- helped us win on Sunday was Mattia helping, giving us stuff that wasn't ours from another team to set up the front end. So we wouldn't have so much toe out and burn off the front tires. And literally those are the tools that helped us win on Sunday. Well, ironically, you end up working with Mattia quite a bit in, in the future, <laughs> yeah. which, I think is, which I think is awesome. Now, we pause this show for a quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. Kometic Gasket is a leading worldwide supplier of gaskets and engine sealing solutions for karting, automotive performance, power sports, original equipment, and the remanufactured engine industries. Kometic karting gaskets are available as OE replacement top end kits or as individual gaskets and seals. Just like competitive carters, Kometic can operate on the fly and has a unique capability to customize any gasket to meet specific engine requirements and clearances. All of Kometic's fiber materials are asbestos free and do not require any additional sealants. Viton oil ring cylinder head seals are used in each two cycle kit and Kometic's four cycle engine kits feature only the most advanced multi-layer steel head gaskets. Kometic can tailor to engine builder specific needs through bulk ordering and packaging flexibility. Kometic gaskets are must-haves for championship winning teams across multiple disciplines of both professional and amateur motorsports. Kometic gasket, sealing championships since 1989. Acceleration Kart Racing is your first and only stop on the internet carts, parts, and the safety gear you need to get you on the track. Visit shopakr.com for a great selection of karting equipment on a user-friendly website. Acceleration Kart Racing has aligned itself with many of the top manufacturers and distributors of the sport to ensure all the latest equipment is available to you, the racer. With over 20 years in business and customer support available six days a week, you can be confident about getting the right parts at the right price when you need them. Be sure to visit shopakr.com today or stop by their headquarters in Las Vegas. Make sure to follow Acceleration Kart Racing on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest specials and new arrivals. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. So, Gary, obviously, uh, capping off the season as you did, uh, you know, with the Cartspark Grand Prix win and then uh, 
kind of wrapping it all up at Buffalo Bills and that battle with uh, Jordy Vorath, Vorath back in, in, in 2006. How did you transition at that point? Because obviously the, 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 the company that you were with, that you saw a future with, you're building carts, you're developing go-karts, it kind of fell by the wayside uh, with, with potentially you know, new ownership. You end up moving over to PCH Motorsports. You mentioned Randy Neal. You mentioned Mattia Madami. How did you end up with PCH Motorsports at the end of the season? Did Mike Mike Speed, I think, played a role in that at one point? Yeah, so, I mean, it's kind of funny. So we're at Buffalo Bills, and, I mean, it, it's the it's truth, and it's, it's kind of hard or – you know, it's mean to say, but, you know, with the new ownership of Track Magic, I just, I really didn't see a future in it. I didn't see a solid future in it. And I think I was leading or, you know, really close or second or close to the championship lead in in the championship at that time, the Stars of Karting. And I have personally never been able to do a full national championship at the, t- at the time. And I was you know, I was desperate to win it and, and wanted it to continue. And so what at Buffalo Bills, Mattia asked me to come into the PCH trailer and I think, or my, or Mike speed, cause Mike speed, Mattia, and then Randy Neal, they were all doing the CRG thing together at the time. And I think Mike speed had talked to Randy about myself and Randy said, no, no way. That guy would never be in my pit. And I, I didn't know about this stuff until like, years after Randy was telling me, wow. I saw, I saw you and, you know, I, I, I overheard a conversation you with someone and I guess you know, I was cursing a lot and he's like, nope, you know, no way is that guy going to be underneath my tent. No way. So I remember, I, I think Mike or Mattia, you know, kind of coached Randy like, well, let's just at least talk to him. Maybe, maybe he's different. Maybe, you know, he's fast. He can, he can be that, that guy for us and shifter and, so they, I guess they convinced Randy. So at Buffalo Bills, actually, I went into the VCH trailer and I had a conversation with Randy, Mattia, Mike, and you know they, they basically you know got the gist of where where I was at in my life and what my you know what what I was trying to do and and you know my objective was was clear in the sense of. I just wanted to win the national. I was just desperate to win the national championship. And I was going to basically do whatever it took to keep that going. And um, so we, we, we signed up a deal that I would start after Buffalo Bills with them, you know, running the CRG product with Randy. And then it, it was all intertwined with SEC, Joe Ramos. Yeah. And then SEC, also SEC East and Dave Davies. And then, so basically what, what it was going to be that I would race with SEC East, Dave Davies on the East Coast, and then BCH Motorsports on the West Coast, promoting the CRG Max, Maxter brand. And then with the, at the Stars of Karting Championship and then also the Super Nats. So struck up that deal. It was, you know, it was definitely hard for me to leave the Track Magic brand, but once it went away from the Vitello family, I just saw that it, you know, I could foresee the future that it, it wasn't going to last. And in the end, it, it was the right decision. Um, in in for my career at the time and, uh, and naturally the relationship obviously with, with Randy became much more than, you know, a working relationship and more as a, as a family relationship. 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You talk about uh, Rainey Pearson and uh, how he and his family kind of took you in and, and, and helped develop you as a, as a young man. I know we, you've thought, you and I have talked about this over the years, back in those days. I know that, I know that Randy Neal played a really big role in your life as well. Can you talk a little bit about how he kind of helped mold you over the three years that you were with him? Yeah, I mean, Randy and, and his family, once I started racing, racing with them and obviously getting closer and our family, both of our families got really close. And, you know, Randy is, is one of those people that, I mean, it's kind of like the larger, larger than life person, you know, I mean, he's an ex- extremely successful businessman, a great fa- father figure, a great mentor of life, you know, and uh, I think I owe an extreme amount of success to and Randy and my father. I mean, I've had great mentors in my life, and I think that's one of my, I guess, you know, my biggest successes is because of them and all my successes because of people like that in my lifetime. And I feel extremely grateful to have those type of mentors and positive mentors. And, um, you know, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me is to have people like that in my life. Well, let's talk a little bit about that Supernats that year in 2006. Uh, that, that was a big day. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was cool. That was, that was a neat day. Um, I mean, it, it's kind of funny, like every, every big moment, I guess in my career, like it, it always, it always like stems to the next chapter. It's, yeah, it's so strange that's how that, so true. Yeah. Yeah. How, how, how it always, like, yeah, it's so strange in the sense, now that I think about it, like, Tucson stemmed, you know, like, you know, that was kind of at the end of the track magic deal, but it, like, it, with the relationship with Mattia and then, and all that, then coming into the CRG deal, uh, Junk Nationals with Daniel Rossi, who, who at the time was it was a CRG team manager. Um, he didn't have his cart brand then. He was just the full on t- full team manager of Factory CRG, and they were there, present at the event. And naturally, I I won the race, and um, and honestly, winning the race was was cool. But uh, I think my one of my biggest accomplishments in my racing career as as a driver was having Daniel Rossi come up to me after the race and he said i don't have anything to say other than perfect race that was a perfect race all wow. weekend yeah and you know i have someone like daniel rossi tell you that is is extremely cool and um and with that with that he he off he sat down with me and giancarlo and randy and and said we would like you to come do a test in in uh Leconca in january because we think you have what it takes to maybe to do well over in Europe. So that's, it's like a nether, like literally started the nether chapter right from that moment when, when I won that race in the Supernats. And um, I went over there in January, I tested in Ugento and in La Conca. And after that test, uh, Danilo asked me, he's like, okay, we want you to stay. There's a WSK race in, in Sarno. And it went well. It went really well. I, I qualified well. I think, and that in that time it was the WSK. So we had all the KZ one drivers and the KZ two drivers 
all together at that time. And I finished sixth in my, in my first race, I guess. I mean, it was, it was pretty cool. Like with all the legends, you know, you have Manetti, Tanon, and all these huge names. And I'm sitting there like, Hey, we're, we're holding our own first, first race. This is cool. And from that race, I, I signed a contract with factory CRG to do the whole season European championship in KZ2 and um, became a factory driver from that point on. Some kid from California ends up going quarter <laughs> midget racing, then does some does some cadet racing at Dixon, ends up being a, a factory driver for obviously, you know, one of the biggest manufacturers in the sport of karting. And that's this is one of the reasons I said from the very start of the show, such an unbelievable storyline. You find yourself as a factory driver, you end up being with uh, with Dino and, and DiChiesa, of course, at one point. Let, let's just the, those years in Europe, man. They just they, again, everything you do is kind of molded you into being who you are now, where you are, and how you approach your business in GFC karting. But when you look back at those days, it's it's man, that must have been just uh, like drinking water out of a fire hose. Yeah, I I think I remember when I signed that signed the contract with Tinini. He looked me in the eyes and said, "He goes, okay, like." You're a factory driver now. You're going to work in the factory with us and you hope to develop the products. But we are an Italian team. So you better speak Italian. <laughs> right? And then, and, well, and he never spoke to he's never spoke to me in English ever again. Wow. So he, it was like thrown in into fire. He gave me mechanics that didn't hardly speak English. And, and unluckily for me, Mattia, who obviously spoke English very, very well, um, never came to the European races. He only came to the races that we did in the States. Okay. So it, it was tough. I mean, um, but it was good for me because I had to, I had to learn the language and I got, you know, the Rosetta Stone and, and just started, started learning it as quick as I could. And, um, I honestly don't know. I don't remember how long it took me, but I mean, eventually to the point where I only spoke fluent, I only spoke Italian to them and, and it, it, it helped me in the long run being in the, in the industry that we're in. I mean, let's, let's face it. I mean, 95% of the products out there now are, are probably more Italian made. So, I mean, in, in, in America, I think, you know, it's, it's useless to know, Italian, but in the industry we are, I think it's extremely important. It's interesting, Gary, because I remember when you first came back and you had gone, you've been racing and you first came back. And I think I was, you know, you were talking, the cart was there and whatever you were doing and you just started blasting off fluent Italian. And I went, wow, this kid, this kid has come a long <laughs> way since the last time I saw him. You were just, it was, and that's kudos to you uh, to, to dive in like that. Um, so let's, let's, let's fast forward. Things are evolving. You're racing obviously for CRG. You're the only North American we've ever had over there as a factory driver. Um, in 2011, let's talk about being with the Zanardi and with the IMD factory. That was kind of an, an evolution moving with uh, a Chiesa Corsa. Yeah. I mean, it came down to in 2010, I probably had one of my strongest years over in Europe. Um, you know, I was fighting for fighting for a world title. <laughs> um, we went to, we went to the first because back then it was kind of a little bit of a division with the, the big factories in the CIK. So we were doing the WSK World Series and all the big factories were there. And it was a three race series basically to, for the considered a, a world title. And we started off the 
the year in Porto Mayo, Portugal, and it was it it started off well, like pole position, track record, and I mean, I kind of in layman's terms, I had the race in my pocket. I mean, we were literally in the heat races, kind of like slowing down, and Mattia Madami was my mechanic for those races, and you know, we had set up signals, you know, from the grandstand, like okay, like he's my I mean my biggest competition was unfortunately my my teammate so like when you have your teammate access to everything you're doing technically i mean you have to you have to beat him by merit right mm-hmm. so you know matteo would you know slow down in this section kind of you know get behind him don't let him don't let him see what you're doing cuz you were doing this corner <laughs> differently and yeah. i mean that's what you have to have to do to win and we came up to the pre-final and uh, and it was going really well. I mean, the whole the whole race. I mean, I could push when I wanted to and save the tires when I wanted to. I just I had pace more than than Jonathan did. And but it was really strange. Like two or three laps ago, the engine just started like cutting out and started having problems with the engine. And and in the end, okay, they didn't give points for the pre-final, so it it wasn't a big deal. And um, yeah, we ended up winning, or no, we did. We lost the pre-final because we started having problems with the engine, and um, but it was no big deal. Like, okay, problem with the engine, but we'll get it fixed, and that's it. And uh, I don't know if you're getting a lot of background noise. No, you're good. Okay. Um. So coming into the final, really, really confident, and um, unfortunately, I, I led the race to like two, three laps to go, and. The engine started cutting out again, and I lost. And I'll never forget that feeling, like being so close to to having that, you know, world championship round in your pocket, and yeah, and losing it. It was, it was a low, it was a low moment, that's for sure. Uh, but um, yeah, throughout the season, had good good results, and but was always kind of missing that. At that time, I mean, that was the Texas era. And it, it was it was kind of a little bit political, and you know, and I I understand it. Like, you know, the my teammate at the time, Tanon, had a really close relationship with Texav and helped develop Texav to what it was. So naturally, I was I was maybe going to be the second second place driver. So yeah. I understood that, and why I decided to go the Zanardi and Chiesa Corsa route was there was an opportunity that IME was starting to develop their, their KZ engine. And I thought I, you know, I, I thought I would take a chance because I would always be second fiddle at where I was that maybe I could help develop a product and, and with a team that I'd be number one. Yeah. So, yeah, I understand that. and so if, if you could be on the forefront of that, I mean, that's, that's kind of, and that's with any racing I, I've heard, so many people and i think it's the wrong attitude when they go over to europe like oh you know they treat americans differently they don't give you the best and this and that and it's the furthest from the truth i i I think it if you can develop a team around you and be the number one guy or be the guy who's i mean especially now i mean Data acquisition doesn't lie. If you can be a driver that's, they know that if you're faster than the other drivers 
underneath the tent. It doesn't matter if you're from Australia, Asia, or USA. Race teams want to win, and they're going to give the best material to the best driver that's underneath the tent. And if you can prove that day, weekend and weekend out, you'll eventually get the best stuff. Or you got to be that guy that sits there and helps develop a product with that person that does either the chassis or the engine and maybe go through those heartaches times and and be there, not be the guy who's complaining all the time or saying, oh, you know, I'm not getting the best engine or that. I mean, there, there's a lot of that you have to go through to be able to, to find yourself in the position to be the number one guy. And I think that's what a lot of people go over to Europe and just expect, oh, I should get the best. And you haven't, if you haven't proven yourself, why should they? Yeah, and, I hear what you're saying. And, yep. And, yeah, you're right. And, and don't think it happens in Europe. It happens here in the U.S. too. <laughs> All right. So let's let's talk. Let's talk when you come back. You did a couple of years there with CRG uh, with Chiesa Corsa. You end up coming back for a couple of years, Gary, in, t- in 2012, 2013, to work with Ocala Grand Prix. What was what was the motivation to come back to the U.S.? I mean, unfortunately, obviously the Sonarni and IAMI thing was it was tough. It was really tough. I mean, it was really tough at, at the time where I was so close to maybe winning races and fighting for a world championship title to to basically almost not even making races. Yeah. Um. You know, in a span of twelve months. I mean, it was it, it was really tough. Um, IME was you know struggling with we were struggling with the engine package and getting it right. I mean, I remember one event. You know, we it was just. I, we were there for three days and I didn't make more than 20 laps because we were having technical problems. And wow. It's the psyche, you know, on the psyche, it was, it was tough. It was, it was yeah. extremely, extremely tough to kind of, I mean, and that's, I mean, that's just part of racing. I mean, you see it in formula one, you see it at a high level, high levels of karting. You see it in any type of racing. I mean, you can, you can be on the right team and, and, and have those good results, and then you can be at a, at a team that's in the development phase that you just day in and day out. It's, it, it's quite a bit of a struggle. And I ended the year, and 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 it was not. I mean, at that point too. I mean, it wasn't like I was living in Europe and getting getting a huge paycheck. I mean, I was living in Europe, getting my apartment paid for, and having enough money to eat. And I. It was tough for me to. It, it that was a really tough, tough year, and to be over in Europe for that long, and you know, I, I guess that time I, I, I wanted to come home and 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 do something else. I mean, I kind of lost well, lost the love yeah. of of driving. I guess and that's it, right? You're, you're... We pause this show for a quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. You want the best, you just gotta roll with the best. Streeter Superstands. This is Jeff Wessel from StreeterSuperstands.com. You wouldn't put subpar parts on your racing cart, so why put that cherished ride of yours on anything but karting's number one lifts and stands, Streeter Superstands. Streeter is the original and genuine manufacturer of the second to none Bigfoot rolling stands, stackers, uprights, and industry leading superlift. 
We also manufacture and sell the largest and always growing roster of trailer and shop accessories like tire, engine and jug racks, cabinets, spray can trays, beat breakers, and tons more to outfit any size trailer, team, and budget. Streeter Superstance has over 30 continuous years of experience. We're kart racers just like you and know that the Streeter name represents the absolute best in stands, lifts, and accessories for karting enthusiasts worldwide. Durability, affordability, unmatched quality, and customer service, that's what sets us apart from the rest. Check us out now at StreeterSuperstance.com. Roll with the best, StreeterSuperstance.com. You can buy all the latest and greatest products on the market. But when you're carting to win, it boils down to one thing. You, the driver. Gain the knowledge and abilities by investing in yourself at the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. And you'll find those extra tenths of a second you need to put yourself on the podium. The school was established by Supercarts USA Hall of Fame driver Allen Rudolph with decades of victories and championships in multiple forms of the sport, including other disciplines of racing. Allen Rudolph Racing Academy, located at the Speed Sports Racing Park in the metropolitan Houston area, is designed to teach driving skills at all levels. The instructors of the academy have decades of racing experience and educating drivers of all ages. Classes at the academy will teach the concepts and skills needed both behind the wheel and off the track. From the beginning kart racing experience and intro to karting courses, to their advanced one-day and two-day courses and karting clinics, the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy can improve the skills of any driver. For more information on the specific programs that the Allen Rudolph Racing Academy can provide for you, head to speedsports.com and click on the Racing Academy page. Be sure to follow the Academy on social media by searching for Allen Rudolph Racing Academy. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. You're literally sacrificing your quality of life for the ability to win races, and when you when that's not there, you're second guessing your, your decisions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was just that was a kind of a time in my life that I just I wasn't I wasn't in a good place mentally at, at that time because it just was one of those moments that it just nothing really. There was no benefit. I guess I didn't see any positive. There wasn't any, anything positive going on. So I, I decided to take up a upper. I well, I guess how it how it ended up is I I at the end of the year I started coaching Logan Sargent, uh, the Sargent Motorsports Group. Um, I did yeah, I did the Super Nationals underneath their tent. That's right, I did the Super Nationals underneath their tent on a, a Lewis Hamilton cart because I got right. through Kia as a Corsa. They gave me carts and I got engines. I think back syringe. I can't even remember now. I'm kind of thrown together program, but uh, because I coached Logan, I was his coach when he uh, the Rock Rock International Cup or whatever they the yep. big rock race in Lenato. Yep, international final, whatever they call it. Yep. So I, I was coaching him during that time, and then uh, did did the race underneath their tent with support from Kia Corsa, and then um, I had signed a deal with them to help coach Logan and Dalton through their racing. Um, and then they had a manager there that basically saw himself maybe losing his job when I 
I came aboard because in reality, they didn't really need him if I was doing all the coaching and the managing myself. So that I could see that kind of, we, we started butting heads. So I basically, that's the only job I've ever actually gotten fired from is <laughs> from, from Sergeant Motorsport because I told him he was an idiot to his face and that didn't go over well. So I uh, lost that job and I was in Florida at the time because they were based out of uh, Deerfield or something like that. So I think you're right. yep. uh, my good friend Alex Speed called me up, hey, we need a mechanic for the Florida Winter Tour over at the, and he was working for the Cali Grand Prix group. So I said, yeah, why not, you know, go over there and, and work for them and then work for them and then got to know George a little bit. And then, um, yeah, they, he offered me a two-year contract to go work for the Oak Island Grand Prix t- guys. And um, the pay was good and a good group of guys. I got to work with, you know, old friends, Mike and Alex. And so yeah. I decided to go do that. You actually work with some good good young drivers there too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I got, I got to work with a lot of a lot of good kids and a lot of good guys that uh, I'm still – or kids now not kids anymore They're not kids anymore but, no yeah um <laughs> a lot of a lot of good group of group of kids at the time um you know it, got, it became close with kyle kirkwood ashley ruggiero obviously very close with all of our askews and um yeah it was it was it was a cool time um it was it was a fun time an easy like i would say ocala grand prix was like an easy fun enjoyable time in my life it was you know we had way too many employees for what we were doing and i mean it was just easy we had everything at our disposal anything we needed there was no budget um you know the drivers had everything that they needed to succeed and you know a lot of laps alex and i on the track with the drivers i mean it was just it was a good time a good fun not you know you didn't have to there wasn't much struggle i guess compared to, to the years that i had had right? before right i mean it was the contrast very easy, yeah they very very big contrast in the sense of like yeah I, I get a a huge paycheck at the end of every week and literally just go out and drive on the track with the drivers and work with them and yeah it was very easy, I guess, time so you, of my life. So do you, do you reset the mindset because you end up going back um, to Italy again in 2014 with Modena? Is that, was that, how did that come about? And did, was it, you, you talked about your mindset when you were, when you were in Italy, that was that time in Florida that it kind of let you kind of rebuild, reset, and then say, Hey, I got, I got unfinished business over there. Pretty much. I mean, I think it was one of those things when I was working for Ocala, I made one stipulation, in my contract that I, during the super Nats, would be able to do race if I'd, I'd wanted. Yeah. And because, I mean, there's no question like Vegas for me is extremely special place. I mean, it's always been a special place. It's always been my favorite place to race. And I've always had, I guess, turning point, like big turning points in my career um, in Vegas. So yeah. it was one of those things that uh, I, I think the first year I did it, the first year I did it with, with uh, Energy Cart, Mick Panigata set up a deal with me to run with them. And, um, yeah, it was good, good race. We were fast. We broke the clutch on the start. But, I mean, we were always in the top five and with pace and everything. And But I, I, I left the event not 
missing it so much. But then it was, I guess, during the second year or 2013, when I was working for Ocala Grand Prix, I got a call from um, Alessandro Manetti, who was running the Praga team at the time. And Boss Lammers had finished or left the team like middle through the year and they he called me got a hold of me and he's like we need a driver and we'd like to for you to drive for us and i that kind of triggered me i don't know in my mind i was like man i i really would really want to do this <laughs> yeah yeah but i have this contract and with ogp and i'm yeah i, I just couldn't you know i'm not gonna break my contract with ogp so I told him I couldn't do it. And when I, after I told him, no, I, I'm in a contract and I can't do it. Maybe at the end of the year, he's like, well, we need a driver now. And once we get a driver, we're going to, we're going to be set with that driver. And I, I kind of, you know, sat there at night and I'm like, man, like, wow. that was, ah, man, maybe I do miss it more than, than I originally thought. And then when I got the, I got a deal with Modena and TB cart, but it was more through Modena engines for, for the four, 2013 or I think 13. Yeah. 13, 13 super Nats. And we, we did that race and then they sat down with me at the, you know, during the race and asked if I'd be interested in being a development driver for them and going over, you know, living over there in Europe and, and racing for them and and happened to be my contract was over at the end of the year with OGP and I said, Yeah, I, I this is something I want to do. So that's what led led into that and at the end of the end of the year I packed up all my stuff from Florida and I, I moved back to Italy. Back to Italy again. So yeah. uh, two two years there. You, you run you run a bunch a bunch of different chassis and, and talk about how much different? How much different was it going back this time? You were you were quite a bit younger. I don't say quite a bit, a couple years younger, but a different guy, right? When you first went there, how much different was this particular experience going over? It, it was different in the sense that it was more more hands on. I think a little bit more hands on, but not not too much different. Um, the only thing it, it was it was just different company how they ran the company and um, naturally. Every time before, I was running with a chassis manufacturer, and this yeah. time I was more with an engine manager. I was more an employee of an engine manufacturer, hence why you know there was a bunch of different chassis that we ran throughout my time there working at Modena. But it was really neat because I kind of I saw more of like how engines were manufactured and that that side of things, and and luckily I got to see a lot more stuff outside of carding because the company that was that was owned by or still owned by Modena is called Aspa and they make a lot of stuff for for Pagani and Ferrari and all these huge you know big Italian companies and I got to see a lot of I got to I mean meet go into the Pagani factory and meet the owner of uh, Horatio Pagani and kind of see these big you know big factories and kind of rub elbows with these, you know, legends of, of motorsports, Ferrari and, 
and uh, Pagani and, and and kind of see how they they run their companies and it was it was, it was really cool. A lot of a lot of very neat experiences there where you know you probably wouldn't get at a at a normal cart manufacturer. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, very very neat and you know got to made some great friends, really close friends there in Modena and. It was kind of another one of those things. It was, you know, a smaller company, and we were we were fighting against the big dogs. So we we're always, always in a fighting matter. Yeah. And uh, always, you know, always had you know a bit of a struggle, so, so to speak. And um, it it was good. I, I learned, I learned more there. I in like in the Zanardi years, in the in the Modney years, I definitely learned way more than I did in the CRG years because I mean, in the CRG years, we had the best product at, yeah. at the time. And I, I mean, when you have the best product, you don't really struggle <laughs> and you, and you, and, and you, and when you, you don't have the best products and you have to develop the products, you, you struggle a bit naturally and you maybe don't get the results that you want, but man, you, you sure do learn a way more because you know, you're not, sitting there necessarily content you're always striving for more and naturally i mean all the companies do too when they when they have it but when you're really wanting success and and wanting to succeed you you and you don't have it or you're you're trying to find it you definitely learn more about yourself one and more about how to how to develop the product into what you think you you need to succeed Hope you're enjoying this edition of the Book It Podcast, folks. I'm Rob Howden, joined by Gary Carlton from JFC Karting. Gary, you talk about Vegas being a place where you won races that kind of helped change your career a little bit. Let's go. Let's fast forward to the end of 2015. Um, you end up working with Formula K and Praga at the World Championships, as well as the, the Rotax Grand Finals. This kind of leads to you end up uh, driving a, a Formula K at the Supernatch, kind of wheeled and dealed something together. Can you talk about how that came together? Because the 2015 Supernats, I think, again, another one of those kind of uh, cornerstone events of, of your career. Yeah. So basically, um, during the 2015, yeah, 2015 season, Modena came to me at the at the about the middle of the year and basically said, "Okay, like we're restructuring the company. Um, you're more than welcome. We want you to race for us." You know, and you do the year, end of the year with the, the world championship, but we can't pay you anymore. Okay. And, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, I need to eat. <laughs> I got like, I like to eat. So I got the expenses. I don't, th- I, I don't think this is going to work. So at the time, Formula K was still its own entity. It was not owned by APK, and they had um, they had lost both of their drivers. At the time, who was Boss Lammers and and Lorenzo Caplese, which should, I mean, in hindsight, should have been of maybe a little bit of a a red flag when you have. <laughs> but I was so desperate, like you know, they they had contact. I had contacted them, um, seeing that they lost it with their drivers, and then they they said, yeah, yeah, we'd love to do something, you know. Um, we'd love to, you know, help us on the marketing side, especially in the U S you know, the U S market and everything. And so I, I did a contract with them where I'd get paid, you know, X amount and 
help them with the the uh, the marketing side and do the world championships with them. But when I kind of, you know, two three weeks in, I, I kind of realized like, oh man, this company's in in bad shape. They're okay. they're you're on the verge of. You know, I I've been in there thinking I'm going to go in there and test and and um, develop this product and. I ended up taking inventory of what they had in the factory because they're probably, and then none of the, the owners were there because debt collectors were showing up at the door and asking people where they were. I'm like, all right, man, like this is not a, this is not a good situation. Like this is, I've, I've walked into another difficult situation and we did the world championships. And after we did the world championships with them, they, you know, they basically told me, yeah, we're going, we're going into foreclosure IPK is buying us out and we're closing down this factory. It's like, Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks a lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, this, this didn't go, this didn't go how, how I thought it might. And no. And so luckily, I mean, I guess luckily I went into, um, I helped formula K take all. We, we, took a lot of inventory over to IPK because IPK bought the Formula K, all the rights to Formula K. And I met with, met with uh, the IPK guys and, you know, it, it was kind of like a vague thing. They really didn't have much to say other than, you know, hey, would you like to come to the Rotex World Finals with us? You speak, obviously you can speak English very well. We need English speaking people and we could use your help there and we pay you and, and everything. I said, okay, yeah. I mean, I guess I'd be, why not? I mean, I'm here. <laughs> what else? Like, I mean, at this point I'm like extreme limbo. Like I don't barely have money to pay for my apartment. I mean, I have no idea what's, what, what I'm going to do with my life at this point. Wow. And, um, and I, and I asked him, I'm like, Hey, like, let's do this. Like, can't, if you guys supply with me, me with a couple carts, I had a couple of entries paid for through Tom because I did some testing for him way back, tire testing for him way back when. And, you know, and I asked him, like, oh, just give me a few f- free entries to the Supernats, you know, for all the work that I did. He said, nah, no problem. An industry trade's probably better for him. Good for me, yep. right? Yep. And um, he said, yeah, that's cool. And they, for, I agreed for formula K to send a few chassis, two chassis for me, which obviously would be good for their dealers. They could send the chassis. The dealer could, um, sell the chassis after the race. And I could, you know, get, get my spot in the tent that way. And I did it where I, um, got engines from my, I am through my, my connections through them, you know, from, from the years past. And then, yep. uh, obviously got a, got an engine through rainy for the Honda. And so I, I kind of brought together brought together that deal and and then just um, I was lucky enough for or IPK supplied a mechanic for me and everything so I kind of threw together this deal and they just said you know yeah we'll see how how the race goes and knowing the race was going to be it, you know essentially like almost like make or break do or die like that's it if i'm going to have any chance of keeping my career going like i I better better do well and luckily it went the way it went it went the way it went you end up winning the (laughs) winning at the super nationals and yeah i guess 
we pause this show for a quick commercial break. Stay tuned for more here on the EKN Radio Network. We don't just drive trucks because they're dependable workhorses that let us tackle icy roads all winter and tow a boat on the summer weekends. We also drive trucks because they're fun. And the Cooper Discoverer Rugged Trek is a truck tire made with fun in mind. Like any Cooper tire, the Rugged Trek is designed to do everything you need it to do. It's got stone blockades to protect your tires off-road and whisper grooves for smooth, quiet street driving. But with its in-your-face design, like the dual sidewalls that let you choose between two aggressive looks, the Cooper Discoverer Rugged Trek is also a tire that shows off your truck's wild side. It's the tire that's off-road party on the outside and dependable all-purpose Cooper design on the inside. Learn more at coopertire.com. Go with the Coopers. Looking for that extra edge? Comet Racing Engines is your answer. The engine service program from Comet Kart Sales has been winning from coast to coast at all levels and different forms of the sport. Lead engine builders Mark Harrison and Gary Lawson have decades of karting experience, providing racers the power to reach the top step of the podium. Comet Racing Engines continually perform track and dyno tests to provide their customers with the cutting edge in engine performance. Comet specializes in Yamaha KT100, IAMI Swift, IAMI X30, IAMI Leopard, and Rock Engines. Trackside and customer support are the cornerstones of the Comet Racing Engines business, ensuring each and every customer receives personal attention and the help they need to achieve the best results. Engine rentals are available at all the events that Comet attends in 2018, including WKA, SCUSA, USPKS, and the Route 66 Sprint Series. Contact the Comet team today at CometCartsales.com or by calling 317-462-3413. If you're looking to step up your engine program, send it to Comet Racing Engines. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. Hearing that backstory, which I didn't have at that, at that point, as you know, in, in part of my knowledge base, the level of emotion that you showed on the cool down lap, having won that race, like talk a little bit about that, because I'm telling you, it just you could from where I was announcing from you, I could hear you and you could feel you. You could just see the, the amount of emotion, just the, the, the sheer elation from winning that race. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was just years and years after just trying to put myself in the right place and, and, you know, putting the work that I thought was necessary and just kind of sacrificing everything, you know, like year after year and having it kind of, and having it not go, you know, just not everything, not fall into place and being, you know, the letdowns and the, the losses and just everything. It was year after year, just kind of getting your, getting your, your ass kicked. I mean, just like, you know, year after year of just being let down and things not going right or, you know, just th- programs not working and falling through. And I mean, I'll, I'll admit, I, there was many times that I would go back to my apartment, you know, alone and not having a lot going on and just, 
just going shit like what, what, why am i doing this like and then that race just ended up going well i mean i remember i remember feeling good in the you know i hadn't driven for months and i remember feeling good and like i know the track was one of those types of tracks that really was strange you know it was a strange style track you had to hit curbs it was extremely bumpy and but i mean i, I was i was faster out of the gate and I remember, I remember them putting on my race engine and me getting, you know, like it's, it's so funny, like lap times and, and everything else. I mean, I'm sure people are starting to see it now because a lot of the European drivers coming over so many times, but they, they, I learned over time, like it's not the lap, you know, you don't need to go out there and, and give it. 100% every single lap in practice. It's more learning your material and learning exactly what you need and not not necessarily just sitting there and flogging it every time and coming back and looking at uh, the times and seeing where you are ra ranking up other people. It's more just knowing your material and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and everything. And I remember putting on the race engine and just getting behind what, who I thought and who I thought was going to be the players of the weekend and I'm getting behind the DeContos and getting behind Lennox's and, and that, and kind of judging my power against them. And I remember pulling in early and my mechanic coming in and said, is everything all right? I said, brother, we got the engine. Our engine <laughs> package is extremely strong. Take that thing off and just, hide it somewhere i don't care what we like we got we have the power this year like we have the package and um and just having that confidence and everything you know me feeling good on the track chassis obviously feeling good i mean shoot that that year the chassis made zero difference as it as the wheels were not even on the ground half the time wow. being it, it was so bumpy and and everything but um yeah, just having that confidence throughout the weekend, and um, you know the Honda thing. I was lost. <laughs> I don't think I ever figured out a stock <laughs> Honda. Uh, I'd be the first one to admit, like that was just. I don't know if it was the thing of me not giving it maybe the full effort that I should have, or just it was so different. And I, I mean, I guess we've seen a lot of Europeans come over and, and struggle with that. It was. It was just different, and I think it was one of those things that I remember Rainy coming in once. And he's like, "Is how's the carburetion feel?" And I'm like, "Dude, I don't even know what gear I'm in half the time with this thing. Like, <laughs> I don't, wow. let alone the car, let alone the carburetion. It's so different and it's so strange. And I and I was I was actually it kind of made me feel better because I I talked to yeah, uh, Linux was obviously extremely good at it. There's some guys yeah, that could do it, but like, but it. I remember talking to Conto and and um, there was another uh, Hildebrand and all, and we'd kind of like joke around, like like God, we suck, like like we do, we can't figure this thing out at all, like. And I remember, I I remember even talking like, what gear are you guys in there? And they're like, um, I think second, you know, it's like it's you know. You think these world class drivers like we don't even know what gear we're in. Like we're such a different package. That's interesting. Such a, such a different package. Like we could not figure it out. And to be honest, like that weekend, I'm like, I was doing so well on KZ. I'm like, you know what? Like, scrap the hot. I'm like, I would just go out and actually work on things that I 
driving wise that I thought, okay, in KZ, I need to learn, I need to be better in this corner and do that. And yeah. I mean, we never changed the gear or the jet and then Rainey would just come in and he's like, okay, this is what the jetting, the other guys are running. So I'm just going to put it on with you. And he'd ask me if it felt better. I'm like, dude, I, I mean, half the time I'm probably in the wrong gear. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. Like if it, it sounds the same, it doesn't like at least like in like, Honestly, it didn't feel any different. He's like, yeah, it's, it's hard to feel the differences in the jetting. With the KZ, man, I mean, you do one jet size to another. You feel it. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a different engine. But the Honda wasn't. I was I was, I was, just, I don't know. I, got, I never figured out the Honda. But, but that, regardless, of, hey, regardless of the Honda, <laughs> that win in the KZ set you up for another chapter, right? It ended up getting yeah, you uh, a ride with IPK. It was, it was one of those weekends, dude, like, I just had so much confidence with my material. I mean, I would literally, the, the first, I remember the first, I mean, it was one of those weekends. I remember everything about the weekend, like in the KZ, the Honda, I don't remember, but yep. the KZ, I remember every, what happened every heat race in my mindset. And the first heat race, I couldn't get it off the line. I did a few practice starts and I'm like, man, like this thing's, how they had their carburetion set up. I, it was impossible to get off the line. So I felt like to like sixth, seventh place after the, the first lap. And then, I was coming up through really good and like it was extremely fast and I ran Lennox down and I remember even just saying, okay, like Lennox is the player this weekend. He was extremely fast and I got right up to his bump and I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to pass this kid because I don't, I don't want to pass him. Like he's clever enough. Like I'm doing one corner and one section completely different than what he's doing it. And there's no reason to show it. So the second heat race, got got the got the whole shot, even got in the lead, and I'm like, uh, yeah, this is not this is not good. He's gonna see everything I see that he needs to see. So I I I just drove around slow, and then he went by me, and I think even Norris went by me, and I'm like, perfect, like let's just watch them the whole the whole race. I don't want to do anything. And then the third heat race, I was just gonna do the same, but. I actually got in an accident with, with my team and he ran up over me and hit my hand. And like, I, sw- I swear in that moment, like it knocked the wind out of me. Later we found out actually hairline fractured my hand and I was like beat up. Like my car was destroyed. And I remember thinking to myself, like, are you kidding me? Like the one week, you know, like again, like the another, another thing that happens that we're going to have to start in the back. And ah, it was just a huge blow. And, and I remember just thinking to myself, like, you know, why? Why every time? Every time we can't seem to put it together for, for a good result. And, um, yeah, during the – but during the – like, I had this mindset. Like, I went I went and did the the warm-up, and, like, my, my hand was absolutely killing me. Like, I could barely feel my hand. It was like, oh, couldn't get my glove off because the dang thing was swollen up so much. And um, and I'm thinking, like, God, it's going to be bad. I mean, everything felt good. But, like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. And just my mechanic's face after after the warm-up came up to me and just looked at me and goes, dude, you're a, you're, you're a freaking animal. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, He's like, you were the fastest guy on the track. You were the only guy on used tires. I mean, he only did one lap. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's, I mean, I was just kind of feeling it out, but like my hand hurts so much. Like, I just didn't want to save my energy. He goes, no, dude, you're fast. You have, you have what it takes to win this thing. I'm like, all right. So I literally, 
I literally slept in the tent on a box, like tire boxes, like, cause I was so drained wow. from the weekend. Like, like I just got, it came in and like, cause my hand hurt so much. I'm like, oh, I just slept the whole, like for hours. Cause that was, he had a big time difference from the, from the warm up to the final. Yep. And I got up and I talked to, um, I talked to Peter Project and he's like, Gary, you don't have to prove anything. Like, you know, if you don't, you, I want you as a driver next, next year. Like you've already proved enough, you know, like you, I want you to be an official driver and everything. And, and I remember just thinking in my head, I'm like, I, I don't even care about what happens next year. Like I'm winning this damn race. <laughs> I'm, ti- I'm tired of, I'm tired of like the disappointments and the failures and like, I'm winning this damn race. And, I ended up doing it, so it was it was cool. It was, it was a it was a big moment, good thing, cool thing, big moment in my career. And a, one thing that's really cool now is that was uh, that race was the the last time my my father got to see me drive. Yeah. So that that's that's pretty cool that he got to see that, and and uh, I just remember. You know, after the race, like seeing how proud he he was, that was cool. Yeah, you you guys as drivers don't get to see it. Us that uh, you know are on the sidelines watching them pace back and forth and watching them wait at the scales, we get to see that. But yeah, obviously, it's something amazing for you, for your dad, who was a, an awesome guy. We get a chance to see you win that big one. Yeah, I mean, obviously, my dad is my hero, and to see him. Yeah, just be so proud and everyone coming up to him and congratulating him and, you know, see how his emotion from it. That was that was that was cool. Well, and I have to say, we'll kind of end up going running for IPK for a couple of years and and stay with the theme of your dad being proud of you. I got to think that he would just be over the moon. To see what you have done over these last couple of years, Gary, obviously getting things started, essentially a transition in 2018. you're doing, you're, you're working in mechanic, you're coaching, but you're, you're building this new brand, this GFC brand. Let's, let's talk about that right now. Let's kind of cap off this edition of the book at podcast by talking about Gary Carlton becoming part of the industry. You're a driver, you're a development driver for chassis manufacturers, for, <clears throat> for engine manufacturers. You've won the super Nats. Uh, you know, you, you wrap things up there with it, with a massive win. A couple of years, as we said, uh, running with the guys uh, at IPK, but you start GFC carding. When did that start? I really want to. What's the gen, what's, what was the genesis? When did you say, well, you know what? <laughs> Maybe I'm going to build my own go kart. Like, what? <laughs> when does that come into play? I would I would say it was my last year at IPK. Yeah. And and you know, obviously, my, the results at IPK weren't the best. And when Jeremy Iglesias came to the team in IPK, it was the he was the first driver that kind of made me think, like, you know what? I'm not maybe as good as I thought it was. <laughs> because, wow. Okay. Yeah. Like Jeremy's, like, I would see in his data and everything. I'm like, okay, like this is the first guy that's ever made me think like there's someone better than me out there for sure. Interesting. And it, and naturally they were having him do more races than, than I, and they had me go mechanic for him for a few races in the, in the German championship. And they sent us in one race by ourselves. It was just, just me, 
or myself and Jeremy and um, I was basically kind of like running the team at, at that point. Like we just go down in their van. We had three carts and um, I was basically tuning, doing the whole thing, tuning for him. And, and cause they didn't have at those races, they didn't have Beggio or cash there. And uh, they set us like with a program, basically, okay, start with these three carts and do this, 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 and this throughout the weekend. And we could, we're kind of following their, their program and, and, I, and it wasn't going well necessarily. And then Jeremy's kind of looking at me, he's like, you know, what, what should we do at the end of the day? And we had to, we had, you know, we were allowed two chassis and we had to put the tag on two chassis and we had to decide. And, and um, we spoke with Cash and Beggio and, and they're like, yeah, I mean, sounds like, you know, you guys just need to figure something out because whatever, you know, you're out the wrong way or Jeremy needs to figure it out. And I'm sitting there kind of, you know, I'm the only guy there reading the situation. And, and I'm like, you know, thinking to myself, as much as I want to call Jeremy a bad driver because he's my teammate, the guy's badass, period. And I think we, we're wrong on the chassis setup or whatnot. And I looked at Jeremy. I'm like, okay, if I take all the blame, if I pull a chassis out that they told us not to run and put my setup on, what's the worst going to happen? Let's do it. Let's do it. And he's like, okay, let's do it. I'm like, why not? Like, you know, I, I'm like, they're just going to get blame me. I mean, anyways and so i stayed up late did all this stuff what i thought would be the way to go and we went out the next morning for the warm-up and he was like boom p2 and i was like all right and it was funny because he came in and he's like he was like gary i don't know maybe you're a better tuner than you are a driver (laughs) like joking about joking about it and i'm like you know all right so we went throughout the whole race weekend of just me doing what i wanted and we ended up winning the race and, and it was like, okay, that was cool. And then we did another race with, I did another race as a mechanic with um, Francesco Celenta and it was the European championship for KZ2. So we, we weren't racing, right? Cause we were in KZ1 and then, and um, he gets pulled, like wins heat races. And, you know, then it was like kind of the ongoing joke that I was a better tuner slash mechanic than than yeah, a driver because all all the drivers that I was working for were like winning and you know that kind of set it off I would say right like yeah um like man maybe I'm maybe I do know how to develop carts and set them up better than than driving and and then I finished the year with IPK well and then and then I came and did a race in Newcastle did the, the pro border tour race and then then that's me trying to get back into Europe kind of changed my life because I mean, naturally I was, I was living in Europe illegally. <laughs> I mean, straight up right. illegally, right. Cause to try to get a, a visa and everything is extremely difficult. So I never ended up living there illegally. And when I came back from Newcastle, I finally got caught. <laughs> Let's just say, They're like, nope. um, yeah, they finally like, saw what I was doing. Cause I mean, I was doing things illegally in the sense of getting new passports or, you know, every 70 days I'd go to like Croatia or England and reset my stamps. And I mean, I, I was doing, I mean, I guess when we go back to saying like, you know, sacrificing and I mean, I was sacrificing a lot to be over there and, you know, doing 
literally illegal things to to be able to over there to live and and you know avoiding different things and police and you know doing bad you, and not you were doing, doing what you had to do doing what i had to do and finally i got caught i mean i remember sitting there being detained you know literally arrested i guess and like them going over things that i've been doing and seeing that how long i've been over there illegally and <laughs> i mean it was it was not a not a good moment and getting deported back to the u.s and we pause this show for a quick commercial break stay tuned for more here on the ekn radio network It's been a handful of years, but the Rotax Winter Trophy is back, and we'll be providing Rotax racers with a chance to get out of the cold and into the southern sunshine this winter. With Rotax Grand Finals tickets up for grabs, plus many other prizes, the Winter Trophy will be a must to start the 2022 season. The Rotax Winter Trophy Series will include two events and four rounds, both located in Florida in January and February. The opening rounds will be held on the January 22nd and 23rd weekend at the Orlando Kart Center, and the second event is scheduled for February 26th and 27th at a venue to be announced at a later date. Friday practice will be available at every Rotax Winter Trophy weekend. Each race day will include practice, qualifying heats, and a main event. Over $40,000 in prizes are at stake, including tickets to the Rotax Grand Finals, brand new Rotax engines, discount vouchers for engines, and discounted vouchers for the 2022 U.S. Finals. Race classes include Micro and Mini Max, as well as Junior, Senior, and Masters Max. Head to RaceRotax.com to learn more about the 2022 Rotax Winter Trophy. There's a new hot button name in American safety equipment, Stilo USA. Every product with Stilo is focused on safety, comfort, and function. Stilo USA is happy to provide you with the proper safety apparel to keep you protected on the track, and their karting lineup is second to none. The ST5 KRT karting helmet is available for $599. Manufactured using a lightweight and extremely strong composite material, the KRT provides an excellent fit and comfort level due to its dual-density interior foam lining, and it's equipped with a symmetrical visor that offers excellent vision and an effortless central visor locking system. The ST5 CMR standard was developed jointly by the FIA Institute and Snell Memorial Foundation to ensure safer and lighter weight helmets for the younger carters. Drivers rave about the superior comfort levels, lightweight construction, and the unparalleled field of vision. The perfect youth helmet is available for $549. Stilo didn't stop with their helmets either. The newly developed Carbon Curva Rib Protector is unlike any on the market, with its form-fitting solution to offer superior protection. Head to StiloHelmets.com to review these and many more products to keep you safe on the track. Stilo. Any competition, one helmet. Thank you for listening to the EKN Radio Network. We now join the show already in progress. So it was that kind of a push that said, well, you know what? I'm back in the U.S. now. I'm going to take the knowledge I have. I'm going to do this thing. 
Yeah, you know, you know now talking about it, like, God, gosh, a lot of times I've had in my life, it was just like, okay, well, now, what? like, literally all my stuff's, my life is in Europe, and I got deported, and now I'm sitting here, like, what do I do now? Like, yeah. You know, and um, so I did the yeah I did the super nationals with with IPK. They had me because I was still under contract with IPK um, for two, you know till the end of 2017. So what they ended up doing is having me go to all like the North American deal help out the IPK North American dealers and Mexican dealers. So I went went to Mexico for a week, helped them out. Um, spent a long time, a lot of time with Greg Bell. Basically, I mean, Greg, Greg Bell loved it. I mean, he was getting free, free, uh, free, um, free employee paid by APK to help him out. So it was working, working out for him. So I got to know Greg a, a lot and a lot better um, during that time. But yeah, during that time, I'm always, I was kind of thinking like, okay, what, what's my next, what's my next move? Yeah. At that point, what's what? What do I want to do? Whatever, and um, and then luckily I, I ended up my driving career doing my checking off the bucket list deal, going with Rubens Barrichello to the Grange deal, which was nice. very, 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 very cool. And and then after that, I, I I said, you know, I had time to reflect, and um, I would say when I dis like finally, finally decided. I mean, obviously having something like GFC was in my back of my mind, but I wasn't totally decided, but it was in the winter and my mom and I were skiing and we we're talking, you know, just naturally about my father and things that he used to say, you know, just reminiscing and stuff. And I remember him telling me once that, you know, it's way better. It's way better to fail trying to do something extraordinary to then succeed at doing something ordinary. And I said, you know, like I could go be the normal guy and get a chassis. That's, you know, an OTK or whatever these, you know, the big name brands are now and put my sticker kit on it and say, okay, Gary Carlson racing team or, or I could develop my own yeah. and be my own. And which is obviously extremely more a lot more difficult than just taking something that's already pr proven but i i took my dad's advice and i went i went to the i went the hard route <laughs> and so yeah i started developing it in 18 in the beginning in 18 um i was you know coaching and mechanicing in between obviously for you know to you know to gain funding and and ha have you know an income but my whole my whole mindset was developing GSC in the, in the, in the carts, and I, I started it um, beginning of eighteen, and I mean literally started it. I didn't have anything but my mom's a little space in my mom's garage and a toolbox, and that's amazing. And, <laughs> and, and, and look, and, and where are you where are you now? Right, two thousand twenty one. Obviously, you've had some big wins. Uh, twenty one, a strong year. Um, you got Sonny Cervelli on board. We'll talk about Sonny in a bit. But, you know, the last couple of years, uh, you've kind of focused as well on the youth, right, with, you, with your, you know, your young driver development program. Let's talk a little bit about that a bit. That's kind of given back to a certain extent. It's within your program, but it's given back to the kids that are coming into the sport and, and given all that knowledge that you've had over 26 years of racing. Yeah, I guess we're like we were saying, 
in the earlier in the podcast. I mean, it, the the this the way the industry and the way the development of drivers and everything is is changed so much comparative to when when I was doing it. And I mean, the whole the whole idea behind the development program is to basically help drivers not go through what I did, right? <laughs> and 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 feed feed off of the experience that I have and and ho- help drivers basically guide them in not making the same mistakes that, that that I did because you know of mental preparation or or going down roads that you know blaming the, the material or you know trying to trying to do things that they're maybe not capable of or trying to go about it the, the wrong way and guide them and have them go about things and overcome their their deficiencies in, in the best way possible and and basically you know provide an environment that i know as a driver that i didn't like that i saw and it was a part of it in many of my environments that basically didn't help me develop as a driver and maybe hurt me as a driver and, and put them in an environment that i kn- know that they can thrive on and um it's really cool to see the drivers progress and and then you know to pump up the drivers and and the the whole mental state of it is is really fun and and intriguing to me to see you know how to how to judge each driver and how to push them in a different way because every driver is a little bit different it's 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 very fun to me and i've really enjoyed it um seeing the success and see you know i I, i've noticed that seeing the success of other people is is much more gratifying to me than my success that i had myself that's awesome and i've heard that before listen you got you got a big spectrum too i love the fact that you've got the young driver development program you got these you know micro mini drivers but then you got a bunch of guys that are in the, you know, that are essentially rated as, as some of the top shifter car drivers in the country on your product as well. That's kind of cool on that side of it. Is, is it a different connect? Obviously, you know, you you're focusing on development and skill development, whatever it may be. You know, approach to the races with the young kids. Don't have to do that so much with the guys at the top level. But man, you got you got some really really impressive guys at the top level of the GFC program in the shifter car categories. Yeah, no, I've been extremely lucky from from day one. The I mean, the shifter cart stuff has been been very good. I've been able to get a, some really good drivers um, onto a, onto the product and to show the product's worth and how how strong the product is. And I mean, naturally, it's always fun to work. It, it's it's so cool to be. That's the cool thing about karting, in the sense of you can work with kids that are learning the learning the skill or work with drivers like the high level guys that have been at the sport for a long time and it's like two different spectrums there you're working on maybe product development and trying to find every last little tenth and you you get that sense of you know how do you say that you get you get you get that side of things where you can work on it and in in that use your type, use your brain in that way. And then with the little kids and then he used that other side of of the thing of simple, making it more simple and less, less technical and just, you know, breaking it down. And it's neat to be able to, and, and and a challenge to, to be in one mindset of being, getting everything super technical and fine, 
fine knit things and then come into a kid like, okay, you just you didn't necessarily slow down for the corner. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> so it's, it's such a different approach, right? D- different approach. And like literally have that in, you know, within the span of two, two seconds where you could be telling the kid, Hey, you seem to slow down to make the corner <laughs> or talking to one of the drivers. Okay. Well, when you put a little bit more input and let the car rotate and this, that, da, 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 da. And yeah. it's, it's so funny. Then you can sit there and, and talk, you know, tell a kid the same thing. Maybe you told the shifter car driver and, it's funny too. I mean, sometimes the shifter car drivers need to tell them, like, "Hey, you're just, you're driving too hard too." You just so. slow down for the corner. You just slow down for the corner, buddy. Yeah, like, that's right. So you got your yeah. cadet program. You got your shifter program. You're you're diving into the single speed program as well with GFC. How about a pole position at the Super Nationals in X30 Senior with, with Jake Drew? That was big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the tag category at the moment is extremely, extremely difficult. I think. There, uh, there's a perception now of a certain chassis that's above and beyond everybody else's. And yeah, to take one driver, no teammates, you know, against big, uh, big operations that necessarily work on that category, category for years and years and years. And for us to just show up and like, Hey, we're here. Here we are. (laughs) Here we are. are. I mean, yeah, it, it was, um, it was kind. Of, it was very satisfying. Yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, there's no doubt. Jake Drew is an extremely talented young man, um, and kudos to him. I mean, I I'm very proud of him what he did at the Super Nationals, but I'm more proud of him seeing that I got to work with him last year, and then I, this year again. How much he matured as a young man is it's remarkable. And I think uh, working with him the last couple of years, I think it'd be a shame if he doesn't make it in racing, because I think what he's shown and maybe the opportunities he's had does nothing for that to show his talents and his drive and, and everything. Jacob drew is, is a special, special driver, in my opinion. That's very, a, very amazing. special. Hey, let's let's talk uh, as we kind of wrap things up here. You know, obviously over, over your career, you've talked a lot about work ethic, right? And how hard you have to work, how you have to dig in. That's something that I, I think everybody's pretty easy to see that you brought to GFC. Uh, I know, I don't, I don't know when you last time you took a day off. Every time I see on social media, uh, you're testing somewhere. I know you guys are trackside all the time. That's how you get the driver development done. That's how you test the product. Um, and again, so you're, you're working your tail off. Let's talk about, you know, how the, uh, the company's evolved a little bit. Let's talk about Sonny Cervelli a little bit before you and I started the podcast, you mentioned to me, uh, what he's brought to GFC and, and how invaluable he is as, as part of your team. I, I've always been told by many, many people and they, it always proves to be right in business or teams or any, any part of any type of industry, it, people definitely make the difference. And having Sonny Cervelli a part of our program has been massive, massive step forward. I mean, you know, Sonny, uh, you know, let alone he's a great attribute, you know, just his demeanor, his attitude, his work ethic and everything, but his level of commitment and his willingness to just 
you know, learn and, and, and want to learn. And, and he's so interested in, in being part of this group. And, and then the addition of, you know, Tony Siragusa down at Formula Works, you know, with the business side of things and his willingness to push the brand and everything. And we, we have such a great group of people. And what's really neat about our group of people is, I mean, I'm the oldest, I'm the oldest out of it, out of us. And I'm only 35 and, and yeah. he granted, yes, as a driver, that's old, but a businessman and leader of a business is not, I mean, it's fairly yeah. young. So young. we're yeah. an extremely young company, full of ambition, full of, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I guess full of an ambition and the willingness to do what it takes to, to push our products forward. And it, it's really exciting to see, the product development. And I'm so glad to have someone like Sunny and Tony and, and building the group of people because I like the, I like to see them succeed. I like to see the company succeed as a whole. And I, I, I as, as much as it is my name on it and GFC, I can't, I actually can't wait for the day that people just look at GFC and maybe don't even know who I am. I'm sure like not a lot of people know the Robotsies, the Teenies. They just know it as Tony Cart or Sergi. Yeah. And I can't wait for that day where, you know, maybe when they see Sonny or like they think he's the owner or, or whoever's running the company at that time, like have it group, build a group of people that, you know, it's their company and not necessarily just not mine. When the brand is over and above just you itself. Yeah. I don't want, I, mean, I can't, I, I want to build it to where it's, I'm not in the spotlight as much as just the brand has built itself enough where the dealers, the, the teams and everything that's GFC and not yeah. that's Gary Carlton. No, I want it to be, to be that. And we're, we're going to strive for that. I'm not, I'm not striving to be the little guy, you know, I'm striving to be, to be having dealers nationwide and hopefully worldwide and, and build a brand that, I can look back on and say it got bigger than what just my name was. Well, you know, you said it straight out. We talk about work ethic. We talk about dedication. We talk about, you know, your top quality material. And I think one of the, you know, obviously one of the, the, the brand tags we haven't brought up yet. It really is part and parcel for you, Gary, is, is live your passion. What, what do we see for 2022 and beyond? Let's wrap this thing up and talk about what the future looks like for GFC. Future, I mean, is is really neat. Um, I'm ex this is probably actually the most excitement I've had of the company because we have our new models coming out, which we're going to be debuting very, very, very soon. We're just finishing up the last last touches on that, and it's going to be the biggest evolution we have on our tag and shifter cart um, line uh, of go karts, and it's it's the biggest changes that we've seen and most changes that we've seen from when we debuted the product. And it's been three years of, of hard work and, and development and to see those changes and, and see the development and see the finished product. I mean, I'm, in, I'm really excited for, I think we've done a lot of neat things. Um, and I'm really, yeah, just, I, I don't know, other than say excitement is very high to, to um, debut those products. And then uh, hopefully with the product line developing and with our ideas, we're, we're going to try to push hard for more dealers and, and try to ex expand the brand more throughout the, throughout the country. And, and then naturally as, as the race team, race team evolves, I hopefully 
you know, we'll have things like the Supernaturals and show that our, we have a full line of products. I think we've done a really good job this past season. There's been many events that we've gone with and won the race with all three carts at the same weekend with our yeah. cadet tag and, and shifter cart. And I think a lot of we've got, we've been labeled right off the bat as just a shifter cart team. And I think that's just because of the success we've had. I mean, I guess our first race that we ever did, we won, right. we won um, with the shifter cart, but I really do truly believe our tag and cadet cart are just just as high as level as our shifter card and with all the other cards that that are out there and i believe the, you know it won't prove to every anyone or everyone you know just one race at the supernats but it proved definitely to myself um and our whole team and our products people that are behind our products that that yeah i mean with one i mean it's easy to say when you maybe have 70 percent of the uh the field dominated by one one, but we had one of 82 and it was P one <laughs> when, when it when it counted most and unluck. I mean, unluckily for us, um, the final was our worst showing of the weekend. We, we, but we, we before the final, uh, unfortunately we had, a, it seemed like we had a tire issue or something as before then we weren't outside the top two all weekend. That's, I think that's really saying something to, uh, of, of our product and that we've worked hard on and we've developed and um, to the best of our abilities. And I, I'm, I'm after that, I, I'm, I can very, I can say very strongly that yes, our, our tag car is one of the best out there. And I think uh, I'm, I, I have high hopes for, for 2022 to, to continue the development and continue on with the growth. I mean, we've been growing every year, with numbers and getting dealers and, and uh, yeah, I mean, I think the future is very bright for, for GFC and I can't think enough to everyone that's been involved and with their sponsors and, and our supporters and our dealers and our partners who, who have supported us from day one and continue to keep that. I know I, I always say there's there always needs to be energy behind a team and it, the energy is always high and and it, I think it's higher than ever to push forward and I, I really I'm really excited I've never been ex this excited even I'm even more excited than when we first came out with the brand in, for 2022 to see where the brand's going to go and and uh, yeah it's been, it's been an amazing journey till now but I think the best is is the best is yet to come. Well, Gary, I, I look forward to another book and podcast. Maybe five years down the line, we can talk about this last little bit. But it's been a tremendous run through the last twenty years plus of your career. It's been uh, it's been a treat and a privilege of mine to be able to call so many of your races and to be able to see what you did in Europe. Obviously, coming back, thank you so much for joining me, my friend. You are indeed one of the legends of the sport of American karting and. And uh, as you said, 35 years of age, you've got 20, 25, 30 more years in this sport. And uh, I want to congratulate you on everything you've done so far. Yeah. I mean, I can say that I'm not going anywhere. That's, that's <laughs> for sure. And, um, carding has definitely been, I've never done anything other than my life, but carding and it's been amazing. The friendships and everything that I've, that I've been able to experience and, I don't see myself doing anything else. And 
I'm more motivated than I've ever been to see this brand and company succeed. And I've, I've heard people say that, you know, oh, you know, things like this or things like that we're doing don't have a lot of shelf life. And I'll be here. I'll be the one to say that uh, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I love to hear that. Folks, thank you so much for joining us on this new edition of the Book It Podcast. My name is Rob Howden. A pleasure to talk with one of the true legends of American karting, Gary Carlton. Lots more to come. And again, folks, thank you so much. Book it.